And I, I wanted to celebrate Don so much that I wore a suit just like him today. Y'all notice that? We need to get a picture before I leave today. All right. Revelation chapter 6. <laughs> Imitation is the greatest form of flattery, brother. <clears throat> Revelation 6. Now, we're going to pick up where we left off in, uh, in our studies. And we're going to talk about the six seals today. We'll see if my clicker is going to work. For, yes, working so far. So let's just review just a little bit. Chapter 1, we, uh, we have the prologue, and it contains a blessing. Well, first of all, we learned that the revelation is the apocalypse. It's the unveiling uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ. Also, there's a blessing to all those that would read and heed the message. Um, then we have the outline of the book in, in verse 19 of chapter 1. And it says, the things that are, uh, the things that you've seen the things that are and the things which will be hereafter. So the things that he had seen was the, the vision of Christ in chapter 1. The things that are would be the church age. That's chapters 2 and 3. And in chapter 4, we switch scenes, and, and then we're in the throne room of God. And those things are going to be the things that are hereafter. The Greek phrase is metatauta, and that signals to us that we've entered into the new... Uh, the new uh, it, um, arena of the study. Now, we're entering into Daniel's 70th week. How many of y'all would like for me to preach on Daniel's 70 weeks one more time today? Anybody? No takers. Uh, but, but you need to understand that because that's where we are. The seven, you need to understand that to understand Bible prophecy. The 70 weeks of Daniel. This, this is an unprecedented time. We heard that word a lot when COVID first came out, didn't we? Un, so, so much so that we were sick of it, right? But this truly is an unprecedented time. You can't find anything in history that's going to be like these, these seals, seal judgments. Um, also, something else I want to say to you from the outset. Now, I'm 100% pre-trib rapture. I'm not looking for the undertaker. I'm looking for the upper taker, right? Now, the undertaker may come for me first, but I'm looking for Jesus Christ, okay? We're never told to look for Antichrist. We're always told to look for Jesus Christ, in all of the letters to the church. But I do want to say this to you, that that does not mean that you and I may not be persecuted for our faith. There were more people martyred for Christ in the 20th century than all centuries combined. Today, this very day, before I'm finished preaching, probably somebody's going to give their life for Jesus Christ. Okay. So don't think that just because I'm preaching the pre-trib rapture, that that means we won't have persecution. Because we, we might. And things might get dark in America. I mean, have you taken a look at the news lately? And the group of people that's coming up in the leadership, we got a group. Now, there's some good, good young people in the world. Thank God for them. We've got some here. But the majority of the world's youth are very disrespectful. They, they have no honor and respect for those that have come before them whatsoever. You see, the kneeling for the national anthem and all that junk, and I'm not gonna, I didn't want to get off on that this morning, okay? But, but I've I got to say it. The reason that that is so distasteful to so many of us is because our fathers and our grandfathers and great-grandfathers, they bled and died for you to have that freedom, okay? And that's why it's such a stench in the nostrils when we see these billion millionaire athletes uh, walking out and, and kneeling for the national anthem, okay? All right, that's enough of that. But I'm just telling you, dark times could come here. 
to America. Um, also, while I'm talking about the USA, something else that, that ought to get your attention is that even though the church is not mentioned in the 70th week, neither is the United States of America. And that's a sobering thought. All right, so Christ is going to open the seals. And who, who's worthy to open the seals, by the way? Anybody besides Jesus? No. All right. I want you to note the architecture of the book of Revelation. If you've already, you've probably already noticed there's a lot of sevens in there. There's going to be seven seals. There's going to be seven trumpets. There's going to be seven bowls. And when you get to the sixth uh, trumpet or seal or whatever, it takes a pause. So be, just be mindful of that. Don't, I'm not making a big thing of it. But just note the architecture of it. It's really, it's really interesting as you, uh, as you study. Um, and and we, in that vein, I want you to know that this, these are not random things. A lot of people, when they try to interpret the book of Revelation, they just try to ram, jam, and cram everything together, and it won't work. There's a, there's a sequence of things. Okay. I got so many notes here, I'm trying to uh, redact as much as I can. <clears throat> there could be an interval of time between the rapture of the church and the tribulation period. Because the church is already in heaven in chapters 4 and 5 before the seals are open. So just be mindful of that. There could be, uh, there could be an interval of time. Alright, so let's get into verse 1. Now I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures. I'm reading out of the New King James today because I don't like beast. King James says beast. There, these are the four living creatures. There are other beasts in the book of Revelation, and they're not good guys. And so I don't want us to be confused about that. It's a different Greek word, too. And I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a loud voice like thunder, uh, Come and see. Some translations would just say come. And I think that's probably the proper. The Greek word is erkamai. And I looked, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on it had a bow. And a crown was given to him. And he went forth, he went out conquering and to conquer. All right. So there's a rider on a white horse. So that must be Jesus Christ, right? No? You're right. <laughs> Not. So let's talk about the white horse rider. Uh, hopefully you can see the, the uh, PowerPoint here. We're going to contrast the, uh, the white horse rider here in uh, Revelation 6. Go with me now to Revelation 19. Hold your place. All right, who's going to be my victim today? Eeny, meeny, miny, mo. No? You saw how that went over, didn't you? It's okay, I rode separate. This, I don't have to ride home with her today. So. Uh, Mark, I appreciate you, brother. Would you read Revelation uh, 19, verses 11 through 16? Yes, sir. I'm finding my glasses. (laughs) 
And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Okay, so there's some obvious differences between these two riders. Uh, they're both on a white horse. <clears throat> now, why would the? I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I believe that these, he represents Antichrist, the, the white horse rider in Revelation 6. Or he could represent all deception. Remember, Jesus said there's going to be false messiahs, false Christ. So it could be personifying false uh, religion. But let's look at the difference. Why, my, why would the Antichrist come riding a white horse? Anybody? To try to trick, right? Because he wants to look like the real thing. Uh, he comes as an angel of light, doesn't he? So uh, he's, they've got a white horse, and, and that's about where the similarities end. <laughs> um, this guy in Revelation 6, he's got a bow, but no arrow. Uh, some say this is, could be a reference to Nimrod, uh, Genesis 10. Uh, it could be something else. I'll get to that in just a moment. Uh, notice the crown for the Antichrist, it was given unto him. Uh, all authority belongs to God. Um, he's conquering, but there's no blood. There's no blood. Um, the, the Antichrist is, comes as a man of peace to begin with. Now, Jesus Christ, he has a white horse, but his name is faithful and what? True. He's not counterfeit. He has a sharp sword in his mouth. He's wearing many crowns. Not, not one that's given to him, but he's wearing many crowns. He has a robe, but his robe is not clean. His robe is stained in blood, and it's not his own. It's the blood of his enemies. You can read about that in, in the prophet Isaiah. But um, the first writer, he comes at the beginning of the first seven years. The... Uh, Jesus Christ comes when? At the end, when this is all over with. And that's not the rapture, that's the second coming when he comes to the earth, not in the clouds, okay? Y'all with me? And if you read 19, you know we're coming with him. Pretty cool stuff. Uh, and here's, here's the most logical thing uh, that, that a lot of people miss. Who's the one opening the seals? Jesus. So does it make sense that Jesus opens the seal and then sends himself out on a white horse? And then who's going to open the second seal if he's gone, right? So just logic would tell you that that's not going to work. Uh, peace. First of all, um, I mentioned the bow earlier. Some people say it, it could be a reference to Nimrod. When was the first time a bow was mentioned in the Bible? Anybody remember? Rainbow. And it was a token of a covenant between God and Noah. Uh, and, and mankind, and I think there might be a clue here. 
that the bow here is a symbol of a covenant. Daniel 8.25 says that how is the Antichrist going to destroy? By peace he shall destroy. Daniel 9.27, you guys probably know this thing by heart. We've studied it so much. He, the Antichrist, will confirm the covenant with many for one seven. One, one, I, I don't really like weak, but one seven, Shabuah. That's how we know the tribulation period lasts seven years. Okay? So just, just be mindful of that uh, as we go through. All right, back to Revelation 6 now. When he opened the second seal... I heard the second living creature say, Come. And another horse, fiery red, went out. And it was given unto him, or granted unto him, that he should uh, take peace from the earth, and that people should kill one another. And there was given unto him a great sword. Notice it's given to him. Again, he's, his authority is subjugated to, to God. Now, uh, this horse, what color is he? He's red. Uh, the dragon is red also in Revelation uh, 13 or 12, 12 rather. Now, um, if he takes peace from the earth, what does that mean? It means before that there was what? Peace or pseudo, there's a pseudo peace. Why is there a pseudo peace? Because the Antichrist has confirmed the covenant for 1-7. We know that this can't be Jesus Christ. Because it says that the peace is broken, right? That the red horse means that there's no more peace. When Jesus Christ sets up his kingdom, is anybody going to else come by and take away the peace that he's made? No. So Christ can't be the white horse rider because peace is taken from the earth at this point. All right, when he opens the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. So I looked and behold, a black horse. And he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures. Now this is another voice, you, you notice. It's not one of the living creatures. But it's, it may be God the Father, it may be Christ. Saying a quart of wheat for a denarius. Now if you've got a KJV, it's going to say a penny. But the Greek word is, is for denarius. Um, and three quarts of barley for a denarius. And do not harm the oil and the wine. Interesting. So let's talk about this. This uh, black horse rider. Black is a symbol of famine in the, uh, in the Old Testament. Lamentations, chapter 4. Y'all were, y'all were in Lamentations this morning in your devotions, right? Before. You know, Lamentations is a, kind of a sad book, but it has a great promise in there too. That God's mercies are new every day in there. But Lamentations 4, 8 says, Their visage is blacker than a coal. They are not known in the streets. Their skin cleaves to their bones. It is withered. It has become like a stick. They that be slain with a sword are better than they that be slain with hunger. For these pine away, stricken through for want uh, for the fruits of the field. Guys, famine is no joke. We know nothing of famine. And there was another church that I pastored and, uh, and, and one of the people in the church used to say, I'm starving to death. And, and one of the ladies in the church gently rebuked all of us and said, we should probably never say that because most of us don't know what it is to be without food. 
without anything to eat. Now, COVID gave us a little glimpse, but not even really. You know, we were upset because we couldn't find, what, toilet paper and why, why we were hoarding that, I don't know. It was a, you know, anyway. But we know nothing of famine. But there are people around the world right now who would give anything to have a, a hot meal. They would. And we waste food, but that's another thing altogether. Ezekiel 4, um, verse 16, talks about eating bread by weight and with care. That speaks of food being rationed, you know. And there's going to come a point in time. Guys, this is the future. This, this is what's going to happen. All this stuff is unprecedented. But it's going to happen. And the bad thing is it's going to be all at once. It's going to be overwhelming. Uh, Amos also says there's going to be a famine of the word of the Lord. And I believe we're seeing, seeing the beginning of that too. Um, but, but let's talk about this just, just for a little bit. Um, it speaks of food being rationed, uh, for one thing. But it's, notice it says one day's wages. A denarius is one day's wages. So imagine working a whole day just to have one measure or just to have one meal. And I'm told that that, that ration of wheat would be enough to, to feed one person. Now what if you had a family of five or six? That would be tough, wouldn't it? And it says uh, also barley. You notice that, um, what was the expression there? Quarter wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius. Barley is substandard food. That's what you feed animals. So that tells me that during this time period that people are going to be eating substandard food for a, for a whole day's wage. In other words, they're not working to go on a vacation somewhere. They're working to survive. And we don't know anything about that, guys. I mean, I'm not trying to shame us, but I'm just saying we have a lot to be thankful for. So much to be thankful for. But, but that's coming. But there's a curious phrase there. It says, hurt not the oil and the wine. You see that? Throughout the Bible, these are symbols of luxury. And I want you to see something with me. Go to Revelation 18. Revelation 18. I'm going to put Mark to work again. Revelation 18, verses 11 through 13. And the merchants of the earth shall weep and mourn over her, for no man buyeth their merchandise any more. The merchandise of gold and silver and precious stones and of pearls and fine linen and purple and silk and scarlet and all thine wood and all manner vessels of ivory and all manner vessels of most precious wood and of brass and iron and marble and cinnamon and odors and ointments and frankincense and wine and oil and fine flour and wheat and beast and sheep and horses and chariots and slaves and souls of men. So you see, there are certain folks that have oil and wine. The people in Babylon have it. 
So this shows that there's a disparity between the, the, the wealthy and the majority. Okay? And, and these politicians, they love this kind of stuff anyway. They love class. They love to pit us against one another. They love to do it. Um, and I want you to understand something. That that tells me that some of this famine, now some of it's because of war. War affects supply chains. It affects food supply. But some of this is political. Because obviously there's oil and wine for the wealthy. But no food for the, the common man. Do you know your politicians, most of them don't give a rip about you? Why would any country sabotage their own energy independence? Why would they do that? The same people that want to take away your right to bear arms are surrounded by a secret service detail. The people that want to take away your gas-powered automobile fly around in jets. Hypocrisy, you know. And they dangle just enough in front of us every election. Oh, we stand for this, we stand for that. Just to get us out to, to, to vote for stuff. But understand that some of the stuff that we experience, it's not just because it's coincidence, okay? And, uh, and I'll, I'll just hush on that. Is our feed still going on Facebook? I've been had a lot of problems with that this morning. <laughs> I think the devil didn't want me to talk about this stuff, but that's okay. Um, all right, we'll just leave it at that. Let's go to the fourth seal, verse 7. Back to Revelation 6. All right, when he, when he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. So I looked, and behold, now some translations will say a pale horse. Some will say an ashen horse. The Greek word is chloros. It's a sickly green color. And the name of him who sat on it was death. And notice this writer's got a partner. Hell, Hades is the Greek word. Hades followed with him. So a picture of death and then following closely behind him is Hades. And power was given to them over how much of the earth? A fourth of the earth to kill with sword, with hunger, with death, and by the beast of the earth. So let's talk about this pale horse rider a little bit. We've noticed he's a sickly green. Uh, it could be translated as pestilence too. These four things, pestilence, famine, sword, and beast, if you'll notice in Ezekiel 14, verse 21, I've got it up here on the board. If you'll notice, those are all emblematic of the judgment of God himself. This is not the wrath of man. It's not the wrath of Satan. This is the wrath of God. And that's, that's indicative uh, of these things. Notice all four of them. Same ones we find in Revelation 6. Now, you see also that this is intended to punish the wicked because the people who die, where are they going? Hades. You look in Revelation 20. Let's, let's do that just, just so we can see. 
whenever the, the Hades is used in this terminology, it's talking about people who are not saved. Because people who are saved, they go where? To the presence of God, right? To be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. Believers don't go to Hades. Are y'all with me? <laughs> At least not in the, the realm of truth that I preach. There may be some that preach that, but I don't. All right, uh, Mark, would you do me a favor? While we're in Revelation 20, would you read verses 13 and 14? Okay. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. All right, thank you. So you see here, the people in Hades, they're going to the lake of fire. And that's who's, being, that's who's collecting the dead is Hades. You see that? All right. Let's go back to chapter 6. <clears throat> so, some people say, well, the, the first part of the tribulation, it ain't all that bad. Well, there's about 8 billion people. There's over 8 billion people on the planet right now. And by this point in time, if the rapture happened today, now we don't know how many would go in the rapture, but um, if, if, let's just say today's numbers, that means 2 billion people will have died by this point. That's, that's pretty serious business, guys. That's what's coming. And it's going to make COVID look like hay fever. And you think they're pushing mandates for this, that, and the other for COVID? You just wait and see what kind of control that the governments of this world are going to try to put on you. Not me and you, because we're not going to be here. Amen? <laughs> All right. But be mindful of these things. And I, I'm not trying to preach like a patriot, but when you give up freedom, you never get it back. When you give it up, you never get it back. All right. I got so many notes, I'm so discombobulated up here. Y'all just bear with me, okay? I love you. Do you love me? Okay. If you don't, just lie to me. I'm trying to think of a good country song that would have those lyrics, but I'm sure there's plenty. Um, notice also the beasts of the earth are part of that judgment. Now, some say that it could be, you know, because food is so scarce and people are so sickly, that instead of man having dominion over the animals like originally supposed to be, the animals have dominion over man. Okay? That's, that's scary, isn't it? That's scary. Um, David Jeremiah says it could be that these beasts are the source of deadly bacteria, like rats from the bubonic plague. Um, what was that? The monkeys, yeah, birds, bird flu, and all that stuff. Um, more people died in the Spanish flu in 1918 than World War I. That's, that's astounding. It only gets worse. <laughs> we look at verse 9 now, Revelation 6, verse 9. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain. And there's two things 
There's two reasons that they die. For the word of God and for their testimony. The word translated testimony is martyrus, which is where we get our word martyr from. Witness or martyr. They're killed because of this book right here. If you think it's not popular now to preach this book, I'm going to tell you, when all the believers go in the rapture, it's going to be a real unpopular piece of literature right here. <laughs> it's going to be real unpopular. And they're going to die. Some of you say, well, I, uh, I'm not worried about going in the rapture. I'll just get saved after the rapture. You don't know. You don't know you'll survive, number one. There's going to be some natural disasters that take place. Some war. Are there casualties in war? Oh, yeah. And I believe we're going to see war on a scale we've never seen. We, I mean, we've seen uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki. But I'm telling you what, there, there's some scary stuff out there. There's weapons in stores that could destroy everybody in this room, everybody on the planet. Thank God he's in control. Thank God he's in control. All right. Now these souls are under the altar. Slain for the word of God, for their testimony. It's interesting, this is the first mention of the altar. The, uh, I put a note here in my, in my uh, outline here. The throne room has become a temple now. And I think it's a subtle thing, but altars and temple imagery is synonymous with Old Testament. Remember, we're in the 70th week of Daniel now, which is just like the other 69, right? Temples and priests and that kind of thing. Uh, there's some debate as to whether this altar is the burnt altar, uh, burnt altar or the altar of incense. I'm going to make a case for the altar of incense, and I'll tell you why in subsequent uh, teachings, but, um, but I, I think so. Now, a lot of people don't understand this, this fifth seal. Notice also the scene has changed. The location has changed. The, first, the four horsemen, we're not dealing with the horsemen anymore. Now we open the fifth seal, but in the fifth seal, we're not, to, we're not looking at what's happening on earth, are we? We're looking in heaven, right? Are y'all with me? We're, we're in a heavenly scene. And a lot of commentators miss this because they put the emphasis on the fact that they're being martyred, okay? But remember, the, rat, the, the lamb is the one opening the seals. And these seals are uh, synonymous with the wrath of God. Okay? So I don't believe that the martyrs here are experiencing the wrath of God because they love Jesus, right? We're not appointed under wrath, amen? Is that what the Bible teaches? So, so I, a lot of commentators miss this. Yes, people are being martyred, but the emphasis in the fifth seal, please don't miss this, guys. I've just really been marinating on this. The emphasis on the fifth seal is on the cry of the martyrs. It's their prayer. It's not on the fact that they're being martyred. That's happening, for sure. But it's the cry of the martyrs. I want you to notice this. And they cried with a loud voice. In the Greek, the phrase is megaphone. That's where we get our, our phrase megaphone from. This is the quietest world you'll ever live in. I've told you that many times, haven't I? All right. They're crying with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord? Have you ever prayed that prayer? 
Maybe you prayed it this morning. Maybe you're praying it right now. Lord, how long is he going to preach? <laughs> Until I'm finished. How about that? <laughs> Until God's finished. If you don't say amen, say oh me. <laughs> how, how long, oh Lord? Like, we've all got stuff we're waiting on God to move, right? I mean, we all do. These guys are praying in heaven. And they're dead as far as earthly perspective. You've heard Billy Graham's quote. He said, one of these days you'll hear Billy Graham died. He said, don't you believe it? Because believers never die. When believers die, they don't go to Hades and they don't go take a doggone nap either as some teach. Well, let's just, some of you think, well, that'd be pretty good. I'd like to have a nap. The Bible doesn't teach soul sleep. It teaches absent from the body, present with the Lord, fully conscious, fully alert, fully aware. And they're praying, how long, O Lord, holy and true? Notice this is about God's reputation. It's not about their, this is not some vengeance prayer they're praying. This is about God being vindicated. Do you not judge and avenge our blood on who? The earth dwellers. Whenever you see this phrase in the book of Revelation, you're going to encounter it several times. The earth dwellers. Now, the NIV, unfortunately, says the inhabitants of the earth. That's a bad translation. Because these martyrs are not crying for the, all the inhabitants of the earth to be destroyed because there's still the 144,000 and there's still a bunch of people that are going to get saved. So they're not talking about the people who are going to, the whole uh, universe people in the universe they're talking about the rebels the people that hate god the earth dwellers do your word study all in the book of revelation the earth dwellers are those who don't know god those who are opposed to him and those whose names are not written in the book of life always that's who the earth dwellers are then a white robe was given unto them and it was said unto them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were, were completed. So they're given robes. I wonder if you get an intermediate body when a Christian dies. I don't know. And I'm not going to build a doctrine on it, but it just makes you wonder, since they're given a white robe, um, if, there, if there's some intermediate body um, that they're given. But their prayer is a focus. It's amazing. The Christians on the earth are praying. God takes prayer very seriously. He takes prayer very seriously. Now notice, and I got this from Warren Wiersbe. At the end of that verse, verse 11, it says there's a number of others that must be killed. Do you see that? That means that these people, their death is not an accident, it's an appointment. They were appointed to be martyrs. Now... That takes place in heaven. Now, the, the, the sixth seal is going to take place on the earth. And here's what I surmise. Here's what I surmise. You do your own research. I surmise that the cry of the martyrs in seal number five brings about the judgment in seal number six. Throughout the book of Revelation, be, just be cognizant of this, okay? 
Whenever you see the prayers of the saints or the golden altar of incense or incense, whenever you just be sensitive to those things because the prayers of the saints are bringing about the will of God in the earth. Believer, don't you ever stop praying. Don't give up. I feel like Jimmy Valvano here. Don't ever give up. <laughs> don't ever, ever give up. Jesus in Luke 18, he taught a parable that men ought to always to pray and not to lose heart. Don't give up. The people in heaven right now, now notice these two. These are people that are killed during this time period because notice that their, their enemies are still on the earth. The people that killed them are still alive on the earth. So this is limited. This is not the martyrs of all ages, in other words. These are, this is tribulation martyrdom. It's going to be going on on a wide scale. So be mindful of that. All right, so now we get to the sixth seal. And that's as far as we'll go today. It's just the sixth seal. I looked when he opened the sixth seal, and behold, that's, that's, a, uh, that's language that says pay attention. Behold, there was a great earthquake. Seismos is the Greek word. The sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood. All right. Now keep in mind, there's probably been nuclear wars up until this point. Um, chemical weapons, perhaps. We don't know how that would affect the environment. There's three earthquakes in the, in the book of Revelation, and they're all different. They're all different. But again, people try to ram jam and cram it all together and say this is this and this is that. It's all describing one thing, and it's not. I want to show you this. This is the first earthquake. Okay, and it's bad because the Bible calls it a great earthquake. But look with me in uh, Revelation eleven. Revelation eleven. Mark, would you read verse thirteen? In the same hour was there a great earthquake, and the tenth part of the city fell. And in the earthquake were slain of men seven thousand, and the remnant were affrighted and gave glory to the God of heaven. All right, so that happens at trumpet number six. Not seal six, trumpet six. There's a difference. And notice at the end of this earthquake, uh, there's, a, there's a, seven thousand people are killed. But the rest did what? They gave glory to God, right? So be mindful of that. During the second earthquake, there's a number of people that are killed and people glorify God, okay? Y'all with me? I'm not feeling it. Okay, thank you. <laughs> All right. There's one more earthquake I want you to see. Now, uh, go with me to Revelation 16. Now, Revelation 16 is not dealing with the seals. It's not dealing with the trumpets. It's dealing with the bowl judgments, okay? Y'all are quiet because you're soaking it all in, aren't you? You're learning. That's okay. I'm not, I'm not going to fish for any more amens this morning. I'm coming up with boots and, boots and shoes and uh, beer cans every time I go fishing. <laughs> so I'll quit fishing. All right, Revelation 16 uh, Mark, would you read verse 18? 
And there were voices and thunders and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake, such as was not since men were upon the earth, so mighty an earthquake and so great. Would you read the next verse too? And the great city was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell, and great Babylon came in remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. What verse was that? 19. There's one more thing I wanted us to see. Um. Oh, verse 20. Would you read verse 20? I'm sorry. And every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. All right. Third earthquake, no more islands, and no more what? No more mountains. Are you with me? No mountains. So let's go back to Revelation 6 now. I'm trying to do due diligence here because I want you to understand. Because similar does not mean identical. Now, look at this earthquake. Um, There was a great earthquake. The sun became black as sackcloth of hair. And the moon became like blood. There are several blackouts recorded in the Old Testament prophets. Isaiah chapter 2, Joel chapter 2 and 3. Jesus predicted in the Olivet Discourse. So there's going to be several blackouts. When was there another blackout? Anybody? When Jesus died, right? There was a blackout. The whole earth was, uh, was dark. Um, there was darkness during the plagues in Egypt. So there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of things here, a lot of word pictures going on. Um, verse 13. And the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it's rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. Now, it doesn't say that they were destroyed. It says they were moved, right? How do I know that? Well, let's just keep reading. All the kings and the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man. How many classes of people are there? What, what number? There's seven, right? There's that heptatic structure again. It's, and that's in, it, it just shows from the least to the greatest, you know, the whole world. They hid themselves where? Caves and where? We still have mountains, don't we? So that means it can't be earthquake number two or earthquake number three. And they said to the mountains. Now it's interesting. In seal number five, the saints are in heaven praying to God. But here on the earth, these rebels are praying to Mother Nature. They're talking to the rocks. They're not talking to God. Fall on us. But I'm going to show you something pretty cool here in just a minute. <laughs> By the way, I got that from John MacArthur, the Mother Nature thing. I didn't get, that's not original. <clears throat> they said to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us. Where have we seen people hiding? Uh, Adam and Eve, right? That was the first thing they did when they sinned. Hide us from the face of him that sits on the throne 
and from the wrath of the Lamb. Interesting. For the great day of His wrath has come, and who is able to stand? Some remarkable things here as we go through this. First of all, let's talk about the stars falling. Most, most of the commentators that I have a, lot of, a great deal of confidence in believe that this is talking about a meteor shower or an asteroid hitting the earth. And if you've ever looked at any documentaries or, or you know, read anything about what would happen if that were to happen, the results will be catastrophic. They'd be absolutely catastrophic. Um, I don't really understand the heaven opening up as a scroll, so I'm not going to claim to be able to explain it to you. But it could be, it could be, you remember when Stephen was martyred and he saw heaven opened and he saw the one who sits on the throne and the lamb standing beside of the throne? It's, It's very reminiscent of that. I wonder if during this period of time that the earth will be allowed to see the throne of God and the Lamb. Because at this point in time, this group of earth dwellers, they acknowledge God and Jesus Christ. At the sixth seal, there's no more atheist done away with by the sixth seal there's no more evolutionist preacher Jackson no more from the goo you know to you by means of the zoo no more of that stuff I don't have enough faith to believe that nothing exploded and then voila we have a planet and a universe and thousands of animals and a human body a a, a brain that's smarter than any computer doing all kinds of involuntary processes even as we sit here uh, and speak. At this point in time, there's no atheist and there's no evolutionist. That's amazing to me. They all acknowledge that this is God. Now, some people will say, now notice they call it the wrath of the Lamb. There are some people that say, well, uh, see, this is proof here that the wrath doesn't start until seal number six. No. This just means that the, the unbelievers finally acknowledge it. See, up until this point, this is things they've seen before. They've seen peace treaties before. They've seen wars before. They've seen famines before. Okay? They've seen sickness, pestilence before. And they can explain all of those away, but all of a sudden, the meteor shower, the asteroid or whatever comes out of heaven, and they get a glimpse of God, and now it's no more, well, we've seen this before, guys. No. Now it's like this is serious business. This is God. They acknowledge. Only at this time do the unbelievers acknowledge that it's the wrath of the Lamb. But the wrath of the Lamb has already been poured out. Right? Because in seal, by the time you get to seal number four, a fourth of the world's been destroyed. Okay? So don't, don't play that game. You know, run over there and say game, set, match. The wrath starts at seal six. No. They acknowledge the wrath. Uh, but the Greek scholar, uh, Robert Thomas says that this phrase, the wrath of the Lamb has come. In verse 17, stay with me, this is a little technical. But this is in the hourest indicative mood, which means that it's something that has already happened. 
The wrath of the Lamb has already happened. It's already come. When did it come? When he opened seal number one. And the Antichrist came. And he made a covenant. All right. And then they asked this question. The great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? Chapter 6 ends with the question. Chapter 7 is going to answer that question. But go with me to Matthew 24. We're almost done here, guys. Matthew 24. Mark, I'm going to put you to work again. Now, this should be old hat for you guys. How long do we spend in the Olivet Discourse? Long time. Mark, would you read verses 4 through 8? Well, I'll tell you what. Just, just read verses 3 through 8, please. I'm sorry to interrupt. Okay. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And these shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in divers places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Through now, eight. Yeah, that, thank you. Yeah, yeah read verse nine too. I'm sorry. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you. And you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. All right, thank you. So, let's go to our last slide here. And I want you to compare. Now, notice the last thing that Mark read. He said that all these are the beginning of sorrows. Not the end, right? These are just the beginning of the birth pains. I want you to notice the similarity. Uh, First thing Jesus said, take heed that no man deceive you. False Christ are coming. That's seal number one. He says you're going to hear of wars and rumors of wars. That's seal number two. Um, he talks about famines. That's uh, seal number three. He talks about uh, pestilences and, um, and earthquakes. So that's seal four uh, and, and five and six, you know. And all these things are the beginning of sorrows. Then when you get to verse nine, you see martyrdom. They'll deliver you up to tribulation and they'll kill you. That's the souls that were under the altar crying out for vengeance. And by the way, uh, all of these babies that are murdered, guess what they're doing? They're crying out to God for vengeance. So while we say, God bless America, I I have to wonder, how can he bless America when all the blood of thousands, millions of innocent babies, and and I don't know why I feel led to say this, but I'm just going to say it. A lot of these babies, they were aborted because of some perceived physical handicap or defect okay the most vulnerable people in in our society and they have been sacrificed and their blood is crying out just like Abel's blood cried out from the ground 
And God said, what is this that you've done, Cain? And I believe there's going to be a reckoning, folks. I really do. 60 million. And just this week, I saw the, the alphabet group and all these others that, that do their thing every time there's some kind of uh, political whatever. And they were angry because we were trying to make it more difficult to have an abortion. And they were just, they were just furious in the streets parading for their right to kill the unborn, you know. Okay. But these, these seals coincide. Go with me to Luke chapter 21. I want you to see this too. Luke 21. But do you see how all of these coincide with the Olivet Discourse? And all of that is before Jesus even starts talking about the abomination of desolation, which doesn't happen until when? The middle of the week, the middle of the tribulation. So, seal six, we're not even at the halfway point, guys. We're not even at the halfway point. Are you in Luke chapter 21? Okay. Um, Mark, will you read just verses um, 10 and 11? Then said he unto them, Nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and great earthquakes shall be in divers places, and famines, and pestilences, and fearful sights, and great signs shall there be from heaven. I wanted him to read that, because Matthew didn't include the fearful signs from he- the sights from heaven, but that's your sixth seal when the asteroid or meteor shower or whatever hits, and the scroll near the earth rolls up. And the people say, or hide us from the wrath of the Lamb and, uh, and from, his, uh, from the face of Him that sits on the throne. So there's uh, quite a lot there. But it only gets worse, guys. And the only thing I can say to you is, thank God you're going to view it from the mezzanine if you're saved. You're not going to be here on the earth. As I said before, yes, we might experience the wrath of man, Yes, we might experience the wrath of Satan, but you and I have not been appointed to the wrath of God. This tribulation is for the earth dwellers. It's not, it's not to get retribution on the church or to purify the church. So what does all this mean for us? I, I jotted down some ideas. Number one, we see the sovereignty of God. All of these things happened under God's control. A crown was given. A bow was given. A sword was given. Uh, all of it was given. Uh, number two, the dreams of the utopians are put to rest. The world's not becoming a better place. We're not more evolved than we've ever been. We're, we're more foolish than we've ever been. You say, well, how do you know that, Henry? Because we've got, we, we've got millions of people who have got this gender dysphoria thing, and we can't understand the most basic thing of whether I'm a, a, a man or a woman. And, and that's confusion. That's confusion is what it is. The world's not getting better. We're under the judgment of God. Number three, the integrity of God. Remember the cry of the martyrs? God, how long are you going to deal with this? How long are you going to put up with it? Satan is not going to spend much time getting you to doubt the existence of God because only fools believe there's no God. But I'll tell you where he'll camp out. He'll camp out on the integrity of God. That's what he did with Job. Satan said, God, if you just let me take these things away from Job, he'll curse you. And it didn't work out, did it? But Satan's trying to do the same thing with you and with me. 
to make you doubt the integrity of God. But we have to maintain an eternal perspective, guys. This is not the end of the story. It's not the end of the story. I've read the end of the book. I'm on the winning side. How about you? I'm on the winning side. You are too if you've got Jesus. Um, also, a theology of death. We don't go to sleep when we die. We're fully alert. We're conscious. And apparently the saints are still praying in heaven. I mean, apparently. Next prayer. See how important prayer is with the plans of God. How important it is. When I was a little boy, my granddaddy used to take me to church in uh, Alabama. And it was a different kind of church. It was a different denomination. They were, they were called a free holiness church. And uh, they did it different. They had a, a group of elders. They didn't have one pastor. They had a group of elders. And they had, um, they, they would, uh, had some people that would play an acoustic guitar. And they had somebody that played a tambourine. There's maybe 50 of them or so. Small church. They would sing. They would praise the Lord. But they had benches. It was a unique thing. They had benches. It was a square building kind of like this except for the wings. And they had benches all around the perimeter. They didn't have a, an altar and a pulpit. They had benches all around. And, and they would all gather around the altar every Sunday. And they would pray sometimes for 20, 30 minutes. And when they would get up from that altar, I remember my granddaddy get up and he was, his shirt would be soaking wet from the tears. They prayed on that prayer altar. And I remember, I still remember as a little boy, they would do prayer requests and he'd say, I pray for my lost children. Please remember my lost children. And I believe I'm standing here today preaching God's word because that man was soaking the, the altar with his tears saying, God saved my grandson. He's going a bad way, but your arm's longer than, than his stubbornness. Save my grandson. And I believe that's why I'm here today, because of those prayers. We've all got somebody in here that we're praying for, right? Somebody that we desperately want to know the Lord. And I want to give you this on the authority of God's word. Every tear that you cry on their behalf, God is keeping in a bottle in the throne room of heaven. It's not for naught. Every tear God sees, he knows, he hears. Don't stop praying for that lost son, daughter, grandchild, husband, wife, mother, father. Don't you stop praying for them because your prayer might be the very thing that makes all the difference in the world. All the difference in the world. And, I, and, and Brother Lynn, you sing that song sometimes about thank you, Lord, for giving to the Lord. We may never know until we get there. And then some, some person is going to come up and say, thank God that I'm here today because you prayed for me. You prayed for me. You gave some money to the missionary. You prayed for the missionary to come and speak to my little village. And I'm here today because you supported missions. Because you supported the work of the Lord. I'm here today. Theology of prayer. I got several other things, but I just want to give you one last thing to think about. The martyrs that were slain for the witness of Jesus, they worshiped the Lord in heaven. They're before his throne, offering up praises and prayers to him. Those earth dwellers, 
They acknowledged that there was a God. They said, hide us from the wrath of the Lamb. If I could say it this way, they believe in God. They believe in Jesus. Are they saved? Nope. You can say, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus and still be lost. Jesus said, you must be born again. A change of heart, change of mind, a new creation. It's not about reforming the old man. He's broken beyond repair. He's broken beyond repair. But God wants to save you and change you from the inside out. I'm going to read you a quote from Vance Havner, then I'm going to open up this altar. Any of y'all ever heard of Vance Havner? Great old theologian. Now, I want you to notice that, that the, the wrath of God, the, the judgment, the suffering, it had two different effects. The martyrs are praising God in heaven. The earth dwellers are persisting in their rebellion. This is Vance Havner. Let it never be forgotten that all, although we may do nothing about the word we hear, the word will do something to us. The same sun melts ice and hardens the clay. And the word of God humbles or hardens the human heart. And what we'll see in the book of Revelation is that these earth dwellers, even though things are getting worse and worse and worse, they're getting farther and farther and farther away from God. And you can allow your trials in life to push you away from God or you can allow them to draw you closer to Him, which is why He allows them in the first place. Because He wants to be there for you. He wants to comfort you. He wants to answer your prayers. Would you stand? Would you stand? You can avoid these seal judgments by simply putting your faith and your trust in the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus died for your sins. He paid the full price on the cross. He was buried in a borrowed tomb. He rose again the third day. His Holy Spirit is here in this room. He's on this podcast. He's on this Facebook Live broadcast. And he's doing the work that he always does during the church age. He's convicting the world of sin, convincing it of righteousness, and convincing it of the judgment to come. Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. He is. Jesus is the only one worthy to open the scrolls. There's no other way. And you will spend eternity. I don't know if you'll go through the tribulation period or not. I hope you don't. But every one of us is going to stand before God one day. Every one of us in this room are going to be faced with a crisis moment. And you've got you to gotta make this decision. Am I going to stand before God on the basis of my good deeds? Me being a good person? Or am I going to stand before God and give glory to Him because the Lamb is worthy and because I put my faith in the Lamb and my name is written in the Lamb's book of life, by grace you are saved. There's only two options. Those are the only two. There's n there is no other ground. You're either saved or you're lost. And the window of time is getting narrower and narrower. The door of opportunity is getting less and less and less frequent. What are you waiting for? Christ stands with open arms. Would you come?